Hey friends, it is Chris Lowen here again with another episode from my Outside the Walls podcast. This is a podcast where we have a lot of conversations with people of different perspectives from what many of us would normally encounter on a day-to-day basis. As we have mentioned before, the ideas and the topics that we discuss in each episode are there for us to consider, but there is no expectation or pressure for everyone to agree with everything that has been said in each episode, nor are these even official positions of Crossview Church. The desire in this podcast is for a healthy dialogue from a posture of curiosity, with the desire to listen and learn without feeling the pressure to agree with everything that is said in each episode. Okay, so in today's episode, we have a friend of ours on the show named Donovan Friesen. Donovan has been married for 25 years. He's been a pastor for 20 and he has been leading Anchor Point for the past seven years, a church in Winnipeg. He feels called to prepare people for church planting and church leadership, and he loves to explore theology. In this conversation, Chris and I talked to Donovan about how he wrestled with the theology of hell and final punishment, and how he came to embrace the position that he holds to currently. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but... I know you are going to really enjoy the conversation, so please welcome to the show, Donovan Friesen. Hey, Donovan, it is so good to have you join us on the Outside the Wealth podcast. Um, I am noticing you you grew your beard back. I know it was uh, a while ago you made some kind of announcement that you had cut off your beard, but now you've grown it back. How long did it take you this time? Well, I shaved it off September, uh, a year and a half ago, so... September it is, and this is a year and a half, I guess, roughly, of growing it back. So that's how it goes. Wow. You have impressive beard-growing genes. It's incredible. <laughs> well, when you have it, I hear you're supposed to grow it. That's the way yeah. that we roll here. So Mine is uh, patchy and, and pathetic. <laughs> oh, mine. My gene is pretty pathetic. So, uh, <laughs> so Donovan, I know there's going to be a lot of our listeners who are going to be familiar with you. And uh, for, for the rest of us, Maybe tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, where you are a pastor, and how long you've been at that in that church. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to share that. So I grew up here in Winnipeg, and then I moved to Steinbach for 11 years, which is where I got to know Chris Dirksen uh, well. We worked together for 11 years and then came back to Winnipeg. So we've been here uh, seven years ago, February is when we started here, but not full-time until September. So uh, the church I pastor is Anchor Point Church. My dad uh, planted the church um, maybe five years before I got here, 12 years ago, roughly. And they hopped through Bible studies into a couple different schools and eventually bought the building that we're in right now. So yeah, that's sort of that's sort of my jam. I've always, like since I was 22, um, I was in university at that time and my friend and I would go out late at night to go biking or rollerblading and we'd go by the exact building that we're in right now and when we drive by it was like we just got to stop here i need to pray because one day i would like to pastor in this building and at the time it was an egyptian coptic church and so it was like unlikely we're ever going to be in that building and then when my dad bought the building for their church i was like ah i am likely going back and i'm likely going to pastor there so yeah that's it i'm I'm married uh, 25 years this year i have four children Two of them are adults. Um, they've been, uh, my two oldest have been out of the country for a while or out of the province, I should say, for a while. And they're coming back. So we will all be together as of May, which is really exciting. So that's, in a nutshell, that's life in uh, in the fast lane for us. And Donovan, it's, so, it's always so good uh, chatting with you. Now today, hopping right into the subject at hand here, we want to talk a little bit about hell. And, oh, no. and again, just for our, yeah, just for our, our listeners again, the goal of this podcast is not to change any views or convince anyone of anything. We just want to have a conversation. Uh, we want to be exposed to different ways people approach this topic in scripture. And of course, Donovan, you and I are kind of uh, known in this area among people who know us, maybe, that we have a little bit different view about hell than the traditional view of hell. Although we both believe our view is in scripture and, it, and both of us have a view that you know, goes back through all of church history. However, people might not know is that you and I took different paths. We weren't walking this path together. We ended up kind of in the same place. 
uh, in similar kind of around the same time, but we just love to hear your uh, journey. Um, can you just tell us a little bit though first about what your view of hell is? And you know, maybe maybe uh, before we jump into that, just to kind of uh, give a little bit of context, uh, you mentioned the word uh, the traditional view of hell. Um, there are you know kind of in the way that we understand church history, there have been three different views. Uh, there's traditionalism, mm-hmm. which are kind of you know the idea that uh, we that the sinner burned alive forever in hell and is suffering eternal conscious torment. And it never ends. That traditionalism, the, the second view is called uh, conditionalism, which is often also referred to as annihilationism. And that is the place that, as hell, um, it's a place where the sinner is completely annihilated, completely destroyed. The fire consumes the sinner. And the third view is called universalism. And that is the place where the fire actually purifies and saves the sinner. And the sinner eventually ends up in heaven. And so those are the three different views. Of course, there's different. There's like a spectrum in each of these views. So I just wanted to give that a little bit of that context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I grew up with um, the view, I guess, the traditional view, and I didn't know that there was another view. I, I didn't even. That wasn't even in my purview. I wasn't attempting to come across and find something different than that. So eternal conscious torment is what I grew up with. And, uh, but today, I guess I would hold to the conditionalist or the annihilationist view of what it would be. And I've been on this, on this journey for pr- probably six ish years or so. So the way it, the way it started is, um, I spent a lot of time, like just reflecting, thinking, praying kind of every morning I'm in kind of that, that state. And I was reflecting on this idea of hell and that I realized I wasn't preaching on hell very often. And, uh, I didn't know why. I was just like, huh, I wonder why I don't preach on hell very often. It's There was no apparent reason. I wasn't trying to um, look at scripture and find something that was different. I just didn't, I didn't know why I wasn't preaching. So as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I think the reason why I don't preach on hell is because I don't know why God needs people to suffer forever. Um, so I decided I was going to do a study. I was up early. I was at Church of the Rock. Uh, before a meeting and they gave me a key to get in there and pray early. And so I went in there and I opened up uh, opened up my Bible app and I just decided to just look for every verse that I could find in the Bible on hell, Hades, Sheol, Tartius, Gehenna, all of those passages. I just wanted to search every single one that was in there. And certainly I was going to find the answer to why God needs us to suffer eternally. And if I understood that, then I would be able to teach or preach on it because I wanted to teach the entirety of scripture. So after going through it, I don't know how long I, I looked. It doesn't take that long to go through all the passages. I'd maybe been studying it or looking at it for like 45 minutes to an hour. And I was like, I must be missing something because as I'm reading through these passages, I'm like, ah, uh, I'm not finding even clear evidence of eternal conscious torment. In fact, I'm finding things that are maybe different than that. Uh, maybe opposite of that. And I'm like, this is crazy. I did not know how often it talked about destruction or death. Um, the comparative of like eternal life, not being eternal life in hell. It was, uh, you will be destroyed or you will be no more. Or uh, anyone who lives like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. Like these were the passages I was finding. I thought, surely there must be more that I am missing in here. So I just immediately that day, we were going to have a pastor's meeting uh, with citywide pastors. So immediately that day, I just started pulling aside all the old guys being like, guys, help me. Have you guys ever studied hell? What is your belief on this thing? This is what I just read in the Bible. Like just this morning, I'm I'm not finding it. Can you help me? Like, where does the Bible teach that you're going to suffer forever uh, in hell? If you don't, if you don't put your faith in Jesus and People just kind of um, had these like really weak answers and just asking the question, they're like, well, yeah, like, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have (laughs) eternal life. I'm like, that's a weird verse to use. And I just met probably that morning. I talked with 10 different people because I was so thrown aback that this belief that was so clearly um, the only belief that was acceptable among evangelicals, and again, I, I'd say all of Christendom almost, j- 
just held very little evidence. And I could read into it and I can go, oh, I know why we view this as hell because you have the belief ahead of time that it's hell, uh, eternal conscious torment. Therefore, this must mean eternal conscious torment. So uh, one of the one of the funny stories, I guess, I went to talk to my dad who was a, a minister and a pastor as well. And he had a, a series that he called 15 Ways to Ensure You Go to Hell. And, uh, <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah. 15. Yeah. I gotta, and I thought – I got to download that, that one. Is the, I loved it. It was like it was like such a clever topic. And I was like, yeah. Dad, that's the bomb. And I preached one message on that in my life. And so I go to see my mom and dad. I'm like, Dad, listen. I've been looking in scripture. I'm trying to find verses that – articulate eternal conscious torment that if you don't know Jesus, you're going to suffer forever. So do you have any verses that you could like lend my way that would demonstrate this? He's like, Oh yeah, for sure. I'm like, can you go get your Bible? Gets his Bible, sits down and he opens up uh, his favorite passage, Galatians 5, 19 to 22. And uh, I, I don't have it written down in front of me, but it goes something along the lines of like the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual morality, debauchery, fits of rage, anger, drunkenness, I said, then what does it say? And anyone who lives like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I was like, dad, mm-hmm. the passage doesn't even talk about hell. Like it just says, if you live like this, you don't get to go to heaven. It has nothing to do with eternal conscious torment. I said, isn't it crazy that we have a belief in eternal conscious torment and then we just work it into all of scripture. We just kind of looked at each other. We're like, huh, kind of silent. My mom was like, I've wondered about this. And it was just this dynamic that we that we had, I guess, in, in the room. So when that happened and I felt like I talked with maybe 20 or 30 different pastors, at that point I contacted Chris, Chris Dirksen. Um, he's, you, you know how it is when you like talk with someone about theology who's... Um, Careful now. <laughs> yeah, like kind of like a little bit of a turkey to talk with. Like you, you can't search for truth. They're just going to always correct you with, <laughs> and they're going to fight you. You know what I mean? No, that's not you. That's not you, Chris. <laughs> for people who like fight you and you can't like discuss doctrine, you have to just like take a beating. And if you're not willing to like yell back, it doesn't work. Chris is not that guy. Okay, Chris and I, yeah, we had enough equity in our relationship that we could talk about theology and I loved it. And I trusted Chris. He was teaching pastor at our church. Um, and I trusted him and we had many, a dialogue about all sorts of topics. And I would come in, I'm not intellectual like Chris, but I'd come in his office and be like, okay, don't give me too much. I just need like answers to these two things. Okay. Got it. That's all I can handle. Then I have to go back and resort it through. So I, I, we, we met up and I said, okay, Chris, we've got to talk about hell because I don't know if I believe in the, this view. And again, at this point, I didn't know that there was a view called conditionalism or annihilation. I, I didn't know at this point. And I said, Chris, I don't know if I believe it. it. It looks to me like people don't suffer forever. It looks like they're thrown in the lake of fire and they are no more. He's like, that is in Chris style. That's crazy. Are you kidding me? You're a conditionalist. I think is what you said. You're like, when did this happen? How did this happen? I totally changed my view. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is wild. So that was my, that was my path to to this, uh, to this view, I guess. So that's kind of where, that's where we landed today. I, uh, about three or four years ago, I did a two-part series at our church um, called The End Game. And it was fascinating because there's a whole group that would hang on to the traditional view. And so my response was always, hey, I get it. Like, mm. you don't need to agree with me. I was just yeah. trying to present, here are some, some additional views that I think have a lot of validity um, but can you go back and can you now take the passages I've presented and defend eternal conscious torment and somehow fit these passages into your belief system? And I will do the same with your passages that you can't. And I found it so easy to put the three verses roughly that might have some indication of the fire and what would happen that way. So I was like, oh, I can fit it in this way. And it works really easily. Can you fit these ones in? And in the end, it usually came down to, well, this is what we believed our whole life. So, and this is what all the, the people of faith have believed. And that got me reading to find out it actually isn't. This has been a, a belief in the church for a very long time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I guess that's, that's sort of it. And the young people, well, no, other people too, but a lot of people were like, I had no idea. Thank you for presenting. And it like ignited 
what my hope was, which was we could discern, search, look for truth together. Mm-hmm. We could study the scripture and not be closed off to something. We could like explore it together. Yeah. And that's, and again, just repeating to everyone, it's great. I just love hearing your, your story on this, Donovan. And just repeating to people or reminding people again, it's not about you having to change your view, but even as you listen to this, to hear how historically this has been a view that the church has had, it's, it's always been around and it's, and it's based on scripture as well. And Donovan, what I'm so fascinated in your story is because just the way our brains work is so different, how you can come to this, you know, you go to church of the rock and you, you pray and read a bunch of scriptures and uh, meanwhile, I've been slogging through like book after book <laughs> after book for like two years. But but I love it. And then you just prayed, and you're just praying, and somehow we ended up in this in this similar place. I think that's that's really cool. Um, but what are some of the biggest objections? That's what I'm curious because I know the ones that I've run into with people. What are the kind of the most common biggest objections you've run into when when you share this view of hell with people? Yeah, um, probably like some of the ones that would be in there is like everyone has believed this for a long time and it's the only view that hmm. we've believed and the other ones have drifted away. Therefore, this must be true. So that, that that's one. Um, the idea of like it's unfair. Uh, the number of times that Hitler has come into conversations about hell. It's mm-hmm. like and, and so I have really strong beliefs in this area. So every conversation either weakens the argument or strengthens it for me. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's unfair. Like, so Hitler is not going to suffer forever. Like he's just going to like be thrown in the lake of fire and he is no more. I said, oh, you don't know the love of Christ. You don't know that we're like, we're all sinners and we need him and we're deserving of death. And you think that his is deserving more <clears throat> and you're better than. I said, you don't know the love of Christ. The love of Christ doesn't have conditions. It's not like if you were sort of not bad, you're good. Like, it's not like that. And I said, even, even so, if, if God is a just judge and Hitler is responsible for killing a million people, just roughly, and if every life is worth a hundred years, justice could be set up as like a hundred million years of suffering, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trillions of years of suffering. Yeah. And you haven't even got started then. Yeah. Like when, when is it like enough? Like when is the, does the justice run out? Yeah. Uh, or is this justice no longer? And then as I began to look, I'm realizing, oh, like no one has answers. It's like God's ways are higher than our ways or God is eternal. We sin against an eternal God. Therefore, we must suffer eternally. But scripture doesn't teach that. That's just ways that we're attempting to give answers to questions that people have that I, I think aren't that great. Um, I, I know I talked with I talked with someone. I won't mention the name right now. And as we were discussing this, like, well, why would I be a Christian? Like, why oh, would he even follow God if there's no hell? And I was like, oh, wait, you follow God because you don't want to burn in hell. <laughs> that is yeah. not what following Jesus is about. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. following Jesus mm-hmm. is, is opposite. It's it's like come to him to have life and have mm-hmm. it abundantly. It's like abide in the spirit, walk with him yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. Like these are the things to, to my favorite verse. Well, on that painting right there there's a it's there's a scripture that's written around the circle it says john 17 3 this is eternal life that they would know you mm. the only true god in jesus christ whom you've sent and if you're just trying to get out of hell you're not actually n- pursuing or knowing god you're you're working to not be in hell so that would be another one um by, by the I way just the to, idea of, can i just jump on that for just a second is just yeah like i just that point is so big like why would i follow Jesus, if there's no hell. And I'm like, what an insult almost to Jesus. But, yeah. and then I think of yeah. in the book of Acts, the apostles are preaching this exciting gospel and not once in Acts do they say, get saved so you don't go to hell. They don't even mention hell. It's no, just get saved because of how amazing it is. And that, that to me is interesting. But just to affirm your, your point, I thought that was good. Yeah. yeah and, and also, also I, I very much agree there because I've had conversations with people where I've asked the question, if hell did not exist, would you still follow Jesus? And uh, very few people would say yes. Huh. And to me, I, I think that's just very, very sad. And yeah. so that, yeah, no, I think you're bang on there. Yeah, it's kind of an abomination of like walking with God. Like, 
Yeah. It's like we don't really know him. It's sort of like it gives, in my perspective, it gives credence to Satan more than it does to God. It's like, hmm. and it's and, and we've labeled it as like the fear of God is being afraid of suffering forever in hell. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's like, that's not biblical on what the fear of the Lord is. Hmm. Um, to revere, to know our position compared to him, to have awe of him. These would be things that would be far more conducive to the idea of what is the fear of the Lord, but we've made it fear of pain, suffering, death, burning is the fear of God. Hmm. No, it's not the fear of God. Hmm. So anyway, so yeah, that would be it. I think, I think this idea of like, if you change your mind about this, then you're going to change your mind about everything. Yeah. Hmm. And I, again, my argument is like, no, what we're supposed to do is search the scriptures diligently. We're supposed to like seek God, wait upon him, dialogue together, explore, and then turn our eyes and worship him and not just be monkeys that listen to something that we've been taught either by me as a, as a minister or pastor or someone that you hear online or whatever that would be. We're, we're to like seek him and test it and apply it in our lives. And so um, I think there's a lot of things that the church taught with sort of a, a sideline idea of, of like fear in people my perspective it was it's a way in which you can move people in your agenda controlling them and to me the gospel is opposite what was so beautiful about the gospel uh that the, that the jewish religious leaders couldn't control of the romans is that it it wasn't controlled by one person it was like we can all encounter him and, and move it's not something to control it's mm -hmm. something to release and we need to let people mm -hmm. walk with him as opposed to people being controlled by a clergy on a set of doctrines and beliefs. That, that would be my, yeah. It's interesting on that. Then, well, on like that. that. Yeah, I know you heard it, Chris. Do you, have, do you also, uh, so I was just going to ask, sorry, do you come, do you also come across the objection that those who question traditionalism are just being driven by their emotions? Therefore we can't trust them. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, um, that, that's a significant thing that it doesn't come up very often. Right. Um, I would say more, it comes from like the reform side, uh, mm. which are, it's quite theological and intellectual that way. And it's almost like their motivation is to ensure is a really gross generalization, but to ensure that you would not uh, ever have emotion. Um, and I, and I believe that God is like gave us emotions for a reason. I, I want to feel, I want to experience, I, I want to explore. I want to wonder. All of these things for me are, mm -hmm. are really necessary. But yeah, the emotional side, uh, it, it's come up very, very seldom. Because for me, when I talk about this, there's just so much scriptural evidence to suggest at least that this is um, a very viable option. And I would say there's far more evidence in my perspective of annihilation uh, than there would be of eternal conscious torment. In fact, I, I would suggest that there's almost more evidence for like restoration, like universalism or re restoration. There's almost more evidence. I, I don't think there's evidence for it, but there's almost more if you want to make an argument for that than there would be for uh, eternal conscious torment in my perspective. Do you now, do you ever get people confusing your new view of hell with that you don't believe in hell? Oh yeah. But not, not in the city, just from, uh, friends of old oh. <laughs> when they hear yeah. when they hear yeah. that donovan now believes something different so then it's he like, doesn't believe in hell at all is is the only other option yeah yeah i'm like yeah clearly i believe in hell yeah and i believe what jesus says that he created it for satan and his angels yeah you know like jesus didn't say even when he had the opportunity speaking of it he didn't say yeah and for anyone who doesn't believe in me you're gonna burn forever yeah you know sucker it's the place of so, death yeah so no, it, it doesn't come up very often that way. And I guess once you once you speak about it in your church for a while, and, and I haven't spoken about it a lot, it's just the one series and we will do another series in fall, but that's like years ago that we did it. So we're going to do another series in fall on it. And so I'm sure we'll have lots of great dialogue, but I would say a significant portion of our church has, has at least considered and or is considering a shift and lots of theologians are making the have yeah, made lots. the shift in the last five years as well. Yeah, lot. yeah. Mm -hmm. and so that to me is a, a a significant point as well. You know, like okay, we we have access to so much. 
so many people working on it. We can all look at the original language. And I think, yeah. I think there's lots that we can go on that way. Yeah. yeah. Would you, uh, and, and, and the other, the other part of it for me is when, uh, cause I've actually come across the objection that, uh, we're just emotional. We're too emotional. We can't think straight. Um, but, uh, as I thought about that more and more, it's, it's actually, you know what, emotional, being emotional is a key part of being a human and nobody can suspend the emotion. Um, and so I think we're all emotionally attached to our views and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, yeah, if there's no, if there's no evidence in scripture for it, that that would be terrible. Then yeah, that would be terrible. I think we need to be honest searchers and it's okay if you hold a different view. Um, that won't yeah. change what's true or not. I think, but we can hold it open. We say, okay, God, like help us to discover it. But, but maybe instead of it being like something that we become dogmatic about, something that we explore, and as we discover things together, let's worship God. Like let's adore Him and yeah. and be filled with wonder about how glorious He is. And I think it's just amazing. I mean, I I totally. So Donovan, I have a. Hey, go ahead, Chris. You go I ahead. totally love. I just that I love that vision of we can hold things a bit loosely, and we're seeking after God. But that whole vision is based on a different way of viewing theology, I think, than a lot of Christians have, where it's a lot more like certain and you don't change. Yeah. And what we were taught, um, you know, like if you change your view on something, then you you become a liberal, you become a whatever you've you're given up on the bible um i don't know what it, like obviously you think differently about that do you have any thoughts about that in general like what do you think about you know christians learning new things or or discovering yeah. new things yeah if you looked at our vision statement our vision statement is hungry people pursuing truth and love mm. without losing awe and wonder mm. like mm. this for us is re- like really important and there, it always is confusing to me when it's like we're pursuing or we find something, even discover something in science that is true, and and it's like verifiably true. And they were like, "Oh, uh, that's not written in the Bible. We better panic." It's like actually God created the world mm. and everything in it, and the galaxies, and from the smallest things to the biggest things. Can we just, when truth comes and we're discovering it, even at the early conception, when you're first learning about something. Can we just worship him? And if mm-hmm. as we're discovering, we realize, oh, hang on, this doesn't work. Like for, for me, I've now had to read through the Bible a number of times and I have a different lens mm. on. And my lens now is not eternal conscious torment. It's annihilation. And it's only strengthened my belief in it mm. because I'm reading. I'm like, oh, oh, here is a verse that we would have used that doesn't talk at all about hell. And we would use it to, 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 to feed this. And, and rightfully so. Um, I, I understand that we have a, we have theological biases, I guess, but now trying to take it and say no, no theological bias. Um, we we live in a different era since the year like 2000 when the internet has become or the information era is so present. We live in an era where we have the best scholars, godliest people from every stripe and denomination and way of approaching from Jew to Gentile all through studying, discovering, learning, someone writes, we're peer reviewing within within the context of theology, which is wonderful. And we have this great thing. And I think I think this is going to be I, I think there's two things that are the error of the church in the last, I don't know, like 40, 50 years. And I think one of them is this, where we didn't teach people how to discover, learn, grow together, mm. and study the scriptures to find what's true. So what we're talking about here, I think that's one. I think the other is we've eliminated the need for true overseers in the churches. Mm. And I think these are the two. So we have the professional minister who knows all truth, who will speak to us and tell us how to live our lives, will give us the three-step plan. Mm. And then we will do that sort of. And we'll come back week in, week out. We love conviction. So we go to church to get convicted. And we think that conviction is fruitfulness in ministry or life. And it's not. And that's how we've lived. Instead of we need to empower people, teach and equip them and have them moving and building the kingdom. This includes discovering who God is and bearing fruit in ministry in our lives. And so I think those are the two things that were were missed. And I think that's going to have to shift. 
where we're not indoctrinating people, we are causing them to become deep learners and studiers of the person of Jesus uh, and his kingdom. And I think that's, yeah, that's what needs to happen. Beautiful. That's what <laughs> So Donovan, you okay? So one one thing that I'm very interested in is this whole idea of how we bring. Um, you you made a reference to the word you know bias, but I, I'm wondering we can also talk about presuppositions. What are some of the assumptions that we bring to the text? And I'm thinking back to the story you told about uh, you know the the pastors throughout the city that you went and talked to, you, and you asked them what what is the evidence for eternal conscious torment. And I think you, you mentioned the, the one pastor uh, reference there, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And yet, he has a presupposition that driving the way that he's understanding that text. Whereas yeah. you have a different set of presupposition, and you're reading the same text, but you're coming up with a completely different conclusion. Um, yeah. So what what is that what is that presupposition that's driving the way that you read that particular verse? And John three sixteen is a perfect example. I'm curious what you what you would say to that. Hmm. So again, like the presupposition of eternal, like how I would have read it before, is perish just means eternally suffering forever. So that's a that's the traditional presupposition that you would have, and I think we have these presuppositions about lots of doctrine and theology. So then I think we do a, a disservice by studying the scripture to prove our presupposition mm. as opposed to the other way, study the scriptures to see what it says and I'll, moving ourselves to align with scripture. And that's that's a just a very different approach. And I think it's a really necessary one. And I think one of the things that is going to change this in my perspective is I think we need pastors from many like walks of life, many different denominations coming together. Mm. This was like opposite of what we did in in my training. It was like, nope, we keep to our people. Don't yeah. listen to these ones. Don't look at these yeah. ones. Don't read these ones. Sort of assuming that we're the only ones that truly are studying the scripture. Yeah. And yet there's these other people that are like really studying and they're not, no one is, most people are not trying to be like deceivers or liars or take people down a wrong path. They, they, they want to speak what's true. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. I think we need to gather far more often to study and look at and test the theologies that we have. Wow. Um, I've gathered a group of pastors. There's eight of us who meet on Friday mornings, every Friday. And we talk through all of these things. And, um, there's only two of us from that are born in Canada and the rest are from all other parts of the world. And we have very different views on how we look at these things. But over years, our like lives are connecting. Our theologies are, we're becoming really um, in love with each other that we can discuss and we can discern. And what do you think about this? And how does this work? And we're not defending anymore. I, I think, I think an example apart from hell that I was thinking about earlier today is like this. It's like, um, I can't remember how the passage quite goes, but it's like um, something about the foundation of the church is on is built upon the the apostles and the prophets, something along that line. And I just had the belief, oh, we need apostles and prophets today because every church to be successful, we need apostles and prophets. God, raise up the apostles and prophets. This is what we need. And then someone comes to me when I'm saying this, just in fact, like I'm just stating it like it's obvious. Like, of course, we need apostles and prophets in every church. This is what we need. He's like, have you ever considered that maybe the foundation of the apostles and prophets is like the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of Jesus and that the church is being built upon like the work that they did before you? I was like, nope, I have never thought about that one time ever in my life. I'm like, that that's a newsflash. And then as I read it, I'm like, pretty sure that's it, actually. Like, pretty sure I got this passage wrong to promote or prove something. I don't even know what. So I think to keep our keep our hands open so we don't come into scripture with this and we come in like open to discover, to wonder, to be in awe of, to to glorify God, to desire to know him, to have the word be like honey that would like satisfy our soul. That's what that that's what I see. I don't know if that answers oh, your question. That's that is such a good answer. 
and and just just to sum it up because i was i always like to just put things into my own words to kind of drive it home for myself but this idea that the, the only way to get past our own biases in scripture or at least one of the main ways is to is to listen to other voices not just everybody that agrees with us and that has been so important even for me over the course of my christian life is I, I make it a practice now to actually read. I regularly read people I, I disagree with, at least on the outset. It's like, this person has a totally different opinion than me. But like you said, I don't assume they're evil or stupid anymore. Like, you know, yeah. in, early yeah. on in my Christian life, I felt like everybody who didn't agree with me must be stupid or evil. It's just terrible. But, but you, read, yeah. you read people who have a different position. You find out, wait a minute, this person loves Jesus, is educated and actually has really intelligent reasons for what they believe. It doesn't mean I might end up in the same place as them, but they're going to expose every bias and preconceived idea I have. And I think that kind of dialogue and not being alone and individualistic in our own kind of clique is huge. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, that's really necessary and something that we need to really like teach, promote, uh, create space for. I think it's really necessary. And isn't that unity? Like when it comes to the body of Christ, yeah. isn't unity, it doesn't mean I'm tightly knit together with a small group of people and we're separate from all the other Christians in the world. Isn't unity, mm-hmm. I think it's so much broader. It goes out to all yeah. these other believers that we have differences with. I think it's, to me, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I think I think the way we do this is we perhaps like teach people how to listen Like I think too Mm. often what we're doing when someone is speaking is we're creating a rebuttal Mm. or we're developing an Mm -hmm. idea in our head to to fight back or to, to promote our own belief as opposed to like, why wouldn't we want to actually love each other Mm -hmm. where I want to know why Chris believes what Chris believes. I can say both of you at the same time. That's pretty good. (laughs) I can maybe pluralize why Chris's believe what Chris's believe. And I can dig into it, not get offended want to know like want to because if i if i love you i want to know why you believe what you believe because you're not believing it to like to be wrong yeah and so if i can love you hear what it is say oh like have you ever considered like this this is how i've seen it does this how does this line up and and we discover together it just takes way more energy to build relationship way less energy to just blast our belief system to everyone yeah, I, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, that's just so well said. Um, for me, and I like putting things into my own words too, but um, when I was, I'm going to say, I started kind of questioning some of these uh, ideas, the traditional view of how it's got to be maybe eight years ago. But what, what kind of triggered for me was when the idea of the, immor- the immortality of the soul were questioned. That was a very key presupposition for me, and uh, once I realized that that was a presupposition that that didn't have a whole lot of scriptural basis, all of a sudden, I I could see words like perish, words like destruction, words like death in a completely different light. Yeah. And so I, I began to just read scripture completely differently. So, uh, yeah, no, my story very much mirrors your own. So, I think there's there's another one for me which was like. This is one that I, I don't know if I've ever heard be spoken of um, by people that hold hold to the view, but it's one that was probably the most convincing for me. And that is like, okay, so we go to heaven and we're in heaven and we're worshiping God and there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's none of these things. And we know that many of our loved ones mm-hmm. are suffering forever in hell. And somehow mm-hmm. we're going to rejoice and celebrate and be just just pumped. Um, well, if we want to know what pure, full-on, pure, unadulterated, unconditional love looks like, look at the Father, look at Jesus, and how, how they dealt with their creation that's in sin. They chose yeah. to send Jesus mm-hmm. to earth to die, which is stunning. Yeah. And it's like, if I knew that one of my children was suffering for all of eternity, what would be my posture? I would go to the throne of God. Mm-hmm. I would get on my face and say, please. Let me go yeah. in their place. That would be yes. my only response. You would not be worshiping. Mm-hmm. You would not be adoring. You would be pleading, my opinion, because yeah. this is what we see. 
You'd be pleading with the Father, please, would you replace it? And you would have all the Christians asking God to go to hell yeah. to redeem those that are in hell because that would be the only appropriate response of love that I can imagine mm-hmm. if I think about what is pure, unadulterated love. And for me, that was the clincher on the belief. I was like, yeah, that's I'm in. And, and I see all the other pieces and I'm like, yeah, broad is the road that leads to destruction, narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and few find mm-hmm. it. And so that belief mm-hmm. means if you believe in eternal conscious torment, that all Canadians are going to heaven. Anyone who said a little prayer somewhere is going to heaven because nice people couldn't go to hell forever. So like, I mean, couldn't, yeah, couldn't go to hell forever. So we like, we start to think that everyone is sort of saved and we go to funerals of people that were like clearly not saved. And we're like, no, no, there was a time they said, I believe in God. And we're like, they're in heaven. Hallelujah. Because we somehow know it's not just to send kind people to hell. Yeah. Right. Like, we know his laws on our hearts and we know that isn't just, and yet we, we do that. So we, that presupposition caused us to actually water down our theology in, and a belief of who's saved and who's not saved. It waters down how we love our neighbors, how we love our children that are wayward. It's like, love your enemy, pray for those who hurt you, like love your children, all these things. So love means I need to manipulate or convince them to follow Jesus. So they're going to burn forever. Right. Or if you believe in annihilation, you can actually, again, this is, I, I know we can look at it differently here, but this is how I see it right now. You can be kind and gentle and not self-seeking. You can like put their needs ahead of your own and you can truly love them. And I, I know people can do that with eternal conscious torment view. You can truly love them unadulterated, not trying to get them not to burn in hell yeah. because we don't, we, we in here, know that we don't want people to suffer forever. When we watch a movie where someone is being tortured, even the most yeah. vicious of people in the movie, your heart typically, or unless you've got a new yeah. heart perhaps, you're like, <laughs> you got to yeah. stop. Like you've gone too far. Like this is not okay. We know this because we have the law of Christ mm-hmm. in our hearts. Mm-hmm. But you, and you just kind of just segue beautifully um, what would some of your, cause I think that's one of your objections to the traditional view of hell. So for you personally, what are some of your uh, biggest objections with that traditional view of hell that God's keeping people alive to continue to suffer? Um, I guess the character of God is one of my big objections. Um, I see the character of God um, on trial when I think about eternal conscious mm. torment. Mm. And I am okay with God choosing how he's going to do it. I'm okay if he wants to have eternal conscious torment and in his goodness he knows that's the right way. That's so okay. I wasn't trying to get out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to think like that that when we die, my belief is that our the spirit, the, the part that he gives us to live, goes back to heaven. Our our soul is what will be judged and our body goes to the grave. I won't yeah, get too far theologically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can open up a whole other can of worms there. <laughs> yeah. And so in order to in order to live in heaven, we need to be given a resurrected body, and he needs to give a spirit again for us to live there, my belief. And so now with eternal conscious torment, so he has to now give you a resurrected body for your soul and a spirit to cause you to live, which is him. And then, but we're separated from him, but you're supposed to now go suffer with this new body that he gives you so that he gives you a body so you can suffer more. That to me is, yeah. So him being a fair judge, that is one that, that is a struggle for me that way. Uh, mm-hmm. evidence would be another objection that I have. Um, I mentioned it earlier, but it's, it's easy for me to take all the passages that I've ever been given and fit it into an annihilation view very easily, but it's very challenging to take the annihilation scriptures and put it into the eternal conscious form in my perspective. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. that way. So that would be, that would be one for me. Um, one of them, the objections I have is is the answers that we've given people who don't yet follow God as someone who loves to share the gospel. It's like, 
the, the big objection to following God is how could a loving God send people to eternal conscious torment? Mm. Our answer is you don't know God. <laughs> God's ways are higher than our ways. So uh, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're going to burn in hell unless you know Jesus. It's like, oh, sweet. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. when I share with people that don't know Jesus about this, they're like, yeah, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? I'm like, well, actually, he doesn't. People live and they die. In the end, they're going to be judged, but they're going to be thrown in a lake of fire if they don't know Jesus. And they are no more. Like, it's just, but if you know him, he invites you to come to his cottage. Like, he wants all of his friends and family to come with him and spend eternity with him at the most ridiculous cottage that he has called heaven. And so you're invited mm-hmm. to come. So I see it more kind of natural. Like there's a there's a supernatural part to it. But natural, like we live, we die, there's a judgment. But those who know him, the few, the, the, the road that's narrow, that few find, those who know him, we get to spend eternity with him in his cottage. And mm. it is a life-giving message. Uh, even to those who are like, have, have fear, even to those that are following God just because of the hell doctrine, um, I'm finding people just come alive. Yeah. Now that's my perspective. And I know that many people who hold to eternal conscious torment don't just want to come to my church um, or where we gather easily. Now, lots of our congregation, they might be listening to this and half of them don't know where I stand on this topic because we haven't talked about it since the explosion of post-COVID. So that would be, I guess, an objection to it. Um, yeah, I'm just looking here. I wrote a couple of notes down here. but And then again, parents whose kids are not following God or neighbors who don't. I was just saying that before, mm. how we respond. Can we love actually? And if we are going to suffer forever, then we'd all better go door to door and manipulate, beg, plead yeah. for everyone to know him. And I don't see Jesus doing that. I see him do the opposite. Mm-hmm. He's like, like, you can walk away. Oh, you can too. Like, yeah. if you don't believe, it's okay. Like, you you can walk away. That's disciples. You want to walk away? It's okay. He's not... It's not forcing or manipulating. It's an invitation. He's gentle and he's inviting us to have the gift of eternal life as opposed to the gift of not eternal life or death. Yeah. And so we give our life to him and now we have eternal life. We are now immortal. We live on the earth and we don't suffer the second death. How crazy awesome is that? So those are sort of my objections to it. I love that. Um, you know, one one other objection I would add to that list, and I, I know you agree here, um, is this whole idea of the ultimate victory over evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I when I think about it, and I know that the traditionists, they all have um, answers to all of these objections. But nonetheless, um, when I think about how when God returns, when Jesus returns to bring new creation, and, and if if traditionalism is true, then sin and evil will go on to exist forever and ever and ever and ever. Right. Therefore, how could there be ultimate victory over evil? That that has been a conundrum in my mind, and I haven't found a, an answer to that. And so that that would be one objection I would add to that list. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the the view has been like God created them eternal, therefore they need to suffer for like oh they need to be. Uh, eternally yeah. continue. I think there's biblical evidence that would say that all of evil will be destroyed as well. Mm-hmm. Hades, um, it'll all be thrown in the lake of fire. Yeah. I, I think there's evidence for that as well, where there's total victory yeah. over over it as well. So, yeah, I yeah. I agree. I think that's I think it's I think it's a really redemptive picture when we look at it this way. I think it's really redemptive. It's like. It's just glorious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Donovan, this has been such an awesome conversation. And uh, I'm just I'm just remembering back, just as you were sharing this, I was remembering back uh, several years ago now, but I was coming to the end of my, you prayed and sought God and, and found this view quickly, but literally it took me two years before I started really planting my flag. But and I, and I was just reading and going crazy. But I remember at one point where I just allowed myself finally, I'm like, I think this is true. And I open up my Bible and my devotions the next day. And again, this isn't for people listening. This isn't to convince you. This is my personal experience. But I open up my Bible the next day in my devotional reading. I was just in Colossians, had nothing to do with hell. And I just wept. It was like that. And the, the pastor reading had nothing to do with hell. But suddenly the love and justice of God came to me. He's still just. 
people who don't choose yeah. him, he, they're not going to make it to heaven. Um, but yeah. he's, he doesn't need to torture them. He doesn't need to keep them alive. And that for me was, was really a beautiful moment. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. That's beautiful. Yeah. Too, uh, thank you so much. Uh, one thing I, I really appreciate about you, Donovan, is your, your pastoral heart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In all of this, you have a heart of love. And uh, you you care for people, and you care for how our belief in God affects the way that we uh, relate to Him, and it, it just comes comes through in the way you talk about uh, how you talk about your journey and all of this. And so, thank you again for joining us in this uh, in this conversation. Hey, it's a great delight. I was uh, really excited to be invited. So, uh, thank you for it. I'm uh, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's so good, and maybe just. For me, just to end and say, like within this, that I'm I'm open to the conversation of it for sure. Um, but I really appreciate that both of you. It's like an openness to discuss and discover. And if I would come back tomorrow, which I won't, <laughs> and say, hey, I there's some questions uh-huh. that one of your viewers has. <laughs> listen, like I, something I didn't see before. I am wide open. It's it's like the scientific mm-hmm. process of like. You have a hypothesis, and then the further down you go, it gets strengthened. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Oh, I didn't consider this, and I didn't see that," and, and it gets strengthened. and And I think the diversity in in, in the body of Christ is rich. Um, but I really yeah. appreciate people that are willing to enter into dialogue to explore it together instead of just to be right. Yeah. And so I appreciate that about you guys, the the search that way. And uh, so thank you. Thank you. You bet. Thank you so much. All right, that is it for another fun conversation. Make sure you come back again in two weeks for our next episode. And again, if this is a show that you have enjoyed and you are excited about, please help us out by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast as more episodes are released. If you have any questions about anything that has been said in these episodes, please let us know at outsidethewall at crossviewchurch.ca. Thank you, and we will see you again.